Good morning, great people. Uh, it is good to see you, old and new faces alike. Those of you who are new here uh, or you've joined us for the last two to three weeks, I want to welcome you again, and I really hope that you feel at home. Uh, it's 2018, a new year is upon us, and you know that because everybody is sharing their goals with you, right? Vacation goals, bay goals, uh, company goals, winning goals, gym goals, everybody sharing the goals. And you know, if anybody knows me here, you can tell just by looking at me that my goals haven't changed. <laughs> Last three years, I want to love God and lose weight. That's all I'm trying to do. Uh, it's going to be good. <laughs> it's weird though, I don't know why this keeps happening to me because this morning I bumped into somebody and they said, oh no, I'm struggling with uh, di- diabetes and stuff like that and I lost so much weight in my, I used to be so fat, so if you don't understand, I used to be like you. <laughs> Every time, I'm like, Lord, why? <laughs> why me? <laughs> All the time, every year, the same story. Well, whatever your resolutions are, whatever your ambitions, uh, goals are for 2018, they are all a reflection of your desire to live a life that counts for something. All of us want, in 2018, to be able to move our lives forward, forward into the God-given purpose for our lives. I normally don't set New Year's resolutions or set goals in the beginning of the year. Normally, I spend the last few months of the previous year uh, praying and talking to team members, friends, wife, and everybody in terms of what should be uh, my priorities for the following year. And I did that. By November, I knew what my priorities would be, my four priorities would be. And this time, I decided to do something different. And I asked myself a set of questions. I didn't anticipate the impact that one particular question would have on me. It reminded me that sometimes great questions are as powerful as great goals. You just need to ask the right question. And here was a question that challenged me. What am I willing, determined to leave behind in 2017? And what am I determined to carry over into 2018? That is a quality of life question. You can get all your goals in 2018 and still hate your life. You can get all the goals in 2018 and still wish you had Tony's hair. Tony's a guy who shed the tongues, those of you who don't know. Here's the deal. It's a quality of life question because there has to be something in you. Because if you, if you don't figure out that some things in your life are baggage, if you, if you don't figure out that some things in your life don't belong in your life, when joy comes, that baggage will overwhelm your achievements and rip away your joy. You need to be able to look at baggage and go, you will not go into my promised land. You are not allowed to come into the place of my inheritance. You will not steal what God has determined to give me. And there's a guy in this book who was faced with options. His name is Gideon. He's right in the Old Testament book called Judges, seventh book in the Old Testament. And he's faced with options from God. And in this moment, he has, for the first time in a long time, the, the chance to choose how he wants to live his life. And ultimately, the big choice that he has to choose is this. Will I carry baggage or will I carry purpose? In 2018, what are you going to carry? 
All of us carry something. Don't try and mix the two. Choose. Will you carry baggage or will you carry purpose? If you have your Bibles, you mind turning with me to Judges chapter 6, verse 11 through to 16. I know we do a lot of standing in this church, but out of reverence for the word, do you mind standing with me as I read the word? I will read the word for you. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terabith at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abyssalite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, Please, sir, if the Lord is with us, why then has all of this happened to us? And where are all the wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you? And he said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, But I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. Father, I thank you again for your word. I pray today, not only will you give us the grace to hear, but you would give us the grace to obey for your glory. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. I want to give you a bit of context to this text. The behind the scenes in this text is this. Uh, Israel has been in the promised land for over 300 years now. They, they came into the promised land led by a guy by the name of Joshua. And when Joshua died, Israel got into a little bit of a problem. And they, they started to be complacent and then they started to compromise. They started to marry their enemies and live with their enemies and they even decided to begin to worship the idols of their enemy. And at, at its pinnacle, the pinnacle of their disobedience is written in Judges chapter 2 when the writer says, then there arose a new generation that didn't know God and his wonderful deeds. It's not so much that they didn't know God and his deeds. Because Gideon goes on to say in the text that we just read, where are all the wonderful deeds that the Lord uh, had promised? Where were the deeds that the fathers, our fathers had recounted to us? So they knew about him. But there arose a generation that I had never experienced God. There's a difference between someone <laughs> who's just heard about God. And someone who's tasted and seen. There's a massive difference. What you saw on stage as Pastor Caroline Webb stood up here, that, that's someone who's tasted something. Right. People who've tasted respond differently when their prayers aren't answered. People who've tasted understand that repentance comes at the cost of blood. That it's not assumed that God will just forgive because God is meant to forgive me because I'm a good person. No. People who've tasted know this came at a cost. For him to say, I forgive you, came at a cost of his life. You've tasted, you've seen. And the Israelites hadn't tasted yet. They had just heard. And so they got complacent, got rebellious. And in their rebellion, in Deuteronomy, God had told them, if you rebel, man, I'm, I'm going to take my hand of favor away from you. And a curse will come 
come to you and, and that would look like a nation coming to devour you, take over, rule you, absolutely shatter and ruin your life. And then the Israelites started crying out to the Lord, Lord, help, you know, we're in trouble. And then God chose judges, generals, if you will. Some were men, some were women, and he used those people to save Israel out of the oppression that they were going through. And this is the entire book of Judges. They've got 12 to 14 Judges, and the whole book just repeats itself. Disobedience, rebellion, curse, destruction. Oh, Lord, Lord, I will rescue you by sending a judge and a general, and boom, there they go. They said, right now in this text, Judges 6, they're in the middle of that cycle, and things are bad. In fact, in Judges 6, in the first verse, it says, the, the Israelites did what was evil in the sight of God. It's not there yet. The Israelites did what was evil in the sight of God. And it's quite important. This is a sidebar comment. It's quite important for you to know what is evil in God's sight versus what is evil in your sight. Please hear me today. Because if you think that you will live life based on what is evil in your sight, you will do things thinking that what you're doing is okay and eventually realize, oh my word, it wasn't okay at all. Because I measured life based on what I think is evil and not on what he thinks is evil. And maybe you think, ah, oh, the Midianites were nice, nice oppressors. No, they weren't. The Midianites were cruel. So much so that the Israelites started hiding in caves and in the mountains and in strongholds. Whenever the Israelites uh, uh, planted crops, marauders from Midian and Amalek and the people in the east would attack Israel, camping in the land and destroying uh, their crops as far as Gaza. They left the Israelites with nothing to eat. This is for seven years, by the way, taking all the sheep, goats, cattle, and donkeys. Now... You can take my crops, you can take my vegetables, you can take my lettuce, don't take my meat. All right? Leave the Nando's, leave, leave the, 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 the grill house, leave those things. Take Kauai if you need to take Kauai, <clears throat> but leave that which is important to the Lord, and that is meat, protein. Amen. Thank you very much. <laughs> this service is holy. Uh, it took everything away. Starving. You think, as a nation, we went through de- uh, depression? We did. It was terrible. But this was bad. This was bad. And I'll tell you when things get bad in a nation, when God's presence isn't there. No matter what oppression you go, when God's presence is no longer there, things get terrible. And God rocks up to a man. This man was far from being a Chuck Norris. This man was a nobody. I can identify, I, I know what it feels like to be a Gideon, to, to feel like you're the least of, of everybody. And he rocks up to Gideon, finds Gideon threshing wheat in a wine press. Now, that sounds awkward, but ultimately, here, here's what was happening. When you thresh wheat in those days, you would take a basket or those big forks, and, and you would go on top of a hill where there's a slight breeze. And you, and you take your wheat and you would thresh it. You throw it up in the air. The whole point of doing that was as you were doing that, the breeze would blow away the chaff. It would blow away the dirty part of the wheat, leaving the grain to fall back into the basket. Yeah. So you needed wind in order for you to thresh wheat properly. 
But here he is in a dugout, in a cement dugout, sometimes a place that was conclaved, meant for you to trample on grapes so that you can produce wine. And he's in there, there's absolutely no wind coming in, and he's threshing wheat. Terrible. But we learn something here, that in this encounter, the first option appears to Gideon. Will he hide because of fear, or will he fight fear? 2018, will you hide because of fear, or will you fight fear? So here's what fear does. Fear is like a bully. Fear will either force you to hide, hide the gifts that God has given you. For the sake of your people, nation, family, friends, for the sake of those in your nation who are destitute, it forces you to hide your gifts. But here's another thing that fear does. Fear forces you to live in a place where there is no wind. You see, we are meant to live on the hill. We're meant to live in the place where the wind of God comes into our lives, blows stuff that we don't need away, and we begin to be all that God has called us to be so that we might be fruitful. But when fear comes into your life, it places you in a conclave where there is no wind. You are called to live in the wind. You are called to live in the wind. Another thing that fear does is that fear is contagious. I want you to understand, it's not just Gideon who was afraid. The whole of the uh, land of Israel was afraid. That's why they started living out in the mountains. Because they were afraid of the Midianites. Listen guys, if if you're hanging around people who are always scared. If you hang around people who are always complaining. Always moaning. When something good happens, they're the first to remind you that, hey, something bad might happen though. You, You need to run. You need to go, yo, I'm not going to do this. And if you're one of those people, it is good for you to go, I need to change my ways. And so God comes in to Gideon's life, and his word to Gideon is, hey, I'm with you, you mighty man of valor. I want you to understand how powerful this moment is. For, For the first time in seven years, someone said something of a different spirit. The whole nation was scared. No one had even said a peep about anything good that would happen. But God comes in and the first thing he does, he defines who you are so that you can stop defining yourself based on your circumstances. Whether your circumstances are good or whether your circumstances are bad, all of us have the temptation to look at our circumstances and go, maybe I am what these circumstances say I am. But when God comes into your life, He says, it has never been about the circumstances. It has always been about my desire for you. So you are a mighty man, mighty woman of Vela. You are a warrior. My son, I'm going to tell you a story. Some of you are going to not like the story. Some of you will be discouraged by the story and maybe not believe that what I did was right. I'm sorry. But I would do this again. And it is my conviction, I'm not putting it out on you. My son is three. And two years, eight months, uh, that was about a couple of months ago, um, he goes to this crash, and there was, there's a bully in this crash. Hardcore bully. Three years old, but she's hardcore. I'm joking, but they're hardcore. The, the, the bully, at least. Teachers know, parents know, bully is blazing. All right? So... One time the bully decides they're going to focus on my son. 
And so I come home. Yo, son, what's going on? Hey, dad, good day. But so-and-so hit me. I said, son, what did you do? He said, daddy, I cried. I said, sorry, boy. All right, listen, son, day one, right? Son, listen, go back, go back to school. When you go back, just, just go and tell the bully, bully, don't bully me. Day one, son does that, comes back, and he's been beaten again that day. I said, boy, listen, I understand. I'm sorry, boy. All right, listen, go back. And this time, if they hit you, go and tell the teacher. All right, he goes, he hits, go tell the teacher, gets hits again, come home. Son, ah, I'm sorry, boy. Listen, this time, son, when he tries to hit you, hold his hand down. Okay, he goes to school, tries, ah, bully gets through, boom. Son has been hit again. Day four. Remember, Jesus was resurrected on day three. <laughs> I just had to find a scripture just to bring you in. Just mind you, you're in church. All right. Jesus resurrected on day three. Send them to fight day four. So I see him. I go home. See him. I said, boy, what happened to daddy? He hit me again. I said, son, I'm sorry. I said, okay, boy. This is where some of you are going to get. Son, it's time to MC Hammer now. Okay. Now listen, you need to go and you need to just fight it out, boy. Now, there's wisdom in this. Sometimes you don't do this. You exercise the wisdom accordingly, right? He goes, that next day I am praying. I'm at work. I'm praying. I'm having visions of Muhammad Ali. I'm, I'm just praying in tongues. I'm interpreting my own tongues. Um, Lord, help this kid. I get home, first things first, kiss my wife, hug my daughter, then I go to my son. I say, boy, what happened, boy? And, he's, and he looked at me, he had a huge smile on his face. Daddy, I kicked him. <laughs> I said, yeah. <laughs> and I'm in conflict. I'm like, son, I'm happy, but you know. Because, <laughs> you know, you want to you wanna fight back, but you don't want to hurt him, you know. Anyway, I saw a call Pastor Caroline Webb yesterday. You know, the expert, Pastor Caroline, should I share the story? Did I do something wrong? And I love what she said. Here's what she said. She said, great callings come with great giants. And if your kids are going to fulfill their great callings, you need to teach them how to fight. <laughs> and you need to learn. And if we as preachers aren't teaching you how to fight, we are doing a bad job. And this is why we have all the courses we have, so that you might be armed with all that you need to be all that you're called to be. Don't let this be another year when you stay home. Get involved, get engaged, allow yourself to be equipped with the armor of God that allows you to press past pain, press past fear, so that you can accomplish that which is in front of you. The Bible even goes on to teach us how we shouldn't engage fear. Psalm 34 verse 4 says, I sought the Lord. I sought the Lord and he took away all my fears. He delivered me from all my fears. 1 John 4 verse 18 speaks about the powerful love of God. That in the middle of fear, you can stand in the middle of fear. Be reminded that he loves you, that he will make all things work out for his good. And the love of God will push Fear out and away from your soul. You have an option in 2018. Will you hide because of fear or will you fight fear? Option number two. 
Judges 6, verse 13 and 14. Gideon is replying now to this statement from Jesus, from, 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 from the angel saying, hey, I'm with you. And here's what he says, oh, please, Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all of this happened to us? And where are all the wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted from us? Can you hear the tone? For seven years, he's been holding this offense. It's as if he's been waiting for someone to just say something good. Oh, let's pray. No, let's not pray. Why should we pray? God is never around. What happened? He held a fence. He, he started holding a fence. And a fence is a dangerous thing. I, I, I'm really asking you to hear me here. A fence is dangerous. Proverbs 18 verse 19 says, A brother who is offended is is." So hard to, to win back. He's like a fortified city. In other words, when, when you're offended, you begin to build walls around your heart, trying to prevent yourself from being hurt again, not realizing that the same walls you're building are preventing the power of his presence from coming into your soul. You begin to build walls, hoping that you'll protect yourself, but eventually you begin to harm yourself because of the walls that you built. You see, offense is dangerous for our lives. I, I bumped into a lady my first day at work, Tuesday. I'm walking uh, from, from Jan Smuts, walking to work. And a lady drives past me and says, hey, I'm from church. Uh, can I talk to you? She actually might be in this service. Her name is Connor. I asked if I can share this story. And she said, yeah, sure. Uh, what's, what's, what's happening? She said, you know, I got saved in the church. I've been loving the church. It's been great. But I've been struggling to hear the word. And sometimes I don't want to go to church because you offended me. I said, happy new year. <laughs> really? I offended you? She's like, yeah, you offended me. I said, okay, what happened? And she went on to share a story about there's something that happened in church that she thought I should have done something about. I, I didn't know. I hadn't seen what had happened. I would have stopped it if I had seen. And so I apologized. And, I, and we also started talking about offense. And as we were talking, one of the things that we began to talk about was even if your offense is the smallest offense, it has the power to stop the word from finding root in your soul. Being offended is like going to a place of good soil, digging it out, putting in cement, and putting seed, thinking that your seed will grow. It just won't. 52 times this year, if you come to church every single Sunday, 52 times you will hear the word. And I'm telling you, if you're offended 52 times, the word won't land. 52 times. The power of offense. And like Gideon you again are going to be faced with this option. Here's the option. Will you be offended or will you trust God with your heart? You see, when you build the walls around your heart of offense, God won't break through your walls. He won't. What he will do, he will ask you to take down the walls. The reason he wants to do that, he wants you to make the decision to trust him with your heart. So you won't break the walls, but he will say to you, if you want my healing, make a choice. Will you trust me? And when you break down the walls of offense, he comes in and not only does he heal you, but he becomes the protector of your heart instead of the walls that you build. 2018, choose. Will you be offended 
or will you trust God with your heart? Last point I want to share with you. Last option is found here in Judges 6, verse 15 to 16. Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Yes, you, you, you want me to go. <laughs> because Jesus had just responded to his offense by saying, hey, uh, go in this might you have. I, I love that, by the way. I love the fact that God is saying, I know you think you don't have enough strength, but the key to your success is not how much strength you have. The key is you obeying me and going. Oh, he's good. And he says, well, oh, please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and, my, uh, and I am the least in my father's house. And he, God responds to him, the angel of the Lord responds to him, but I will be with you and you will strike the Midianites as one man. The third option that you are going to get in 2018 is this. Will you live in a place of hopelessness and believe that you're powerless? Or will you live in a place of relationship with Jesus? So he has every right to think that he's a nobody. He, he's the weakest in his dad's house. And his dad's house is the weakest in the clan. And his clan is the worst out of all the other clans. The smallest out of all the other clans. There's no way that he can do something that will make a difference. But here's how God responds to his hopelessness. He says, listen, if you are going to deal with your hopelessness, if you are going to deal with your powerlessness, where when you face what you're going to face at work tomorrow, when you face the, the death of your mom or your dad, when you face that retrenchment, when you face that big deal that you've been hoping to get, when you face that, that tough situation in your marriage, when you face the fact that you had lost a friend, lost a child, when you face that moment, when you face the idea of having to change a city, change a nation, change a nation that keeps swirling down the mountain like a snowball effect, when you have to face that what you need is not more power what you need is relationship I don't know why the kingdom does this I don't understand it and this is why people look at me and go oh you're foolish because you say things like this but this is how the kingdom works not once in the, in the 66 books of the Bible did God rock up to someone and say hey let me give you an idea all the best let me leave you every single time he came to someone who was going to change the world he said what you need is me and once you are in once you are in that relationship, there is a mystery that I cannot describe to you that takes place. The best way I can describe to you is John 15, 5, that says this, that, that basically I am the vine and you, 15, you are the branches. If you remain in me, I remain in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. In other words, it is possible to be doing a lot of things and yet doing nothing. And it goes on, if you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burnt. But here is the point. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, you will ask whatever you want, every nation. Amen. You will ask whatever you want, Tony. You will ask whatever you want, Zale. You will ask whatever you want, Budluvuyo. You will ask whatever you want. And it will be done for you. The power that you're looking for is not in your ability. 
power you're looking for is in relationship. I'm going to give you a sidebar moment that has touched my life. I have always thought, for me to do all that God wants me to do, I need to fulfill my potential. And I realize that there's a difference between potential and calling. You can fulfill your potential and yet miss your calling if you don't choose Him. I'm asking you, every nation, I'm asking you this year, that we find ourselves swimming in the grace of Jesus. That we find ourselves enveloped by all that he is, pursuing with all our breath, all our passion, all our desire, this relationship that has been given us, not only for us, but for the sake of the world, sake of your kids and family. So, when you're presented with this choice, option three, just like Gideon, Will you choose hopelessness or will you choose relationship? I want to end by sharing a a story with you. This is a true story of a pastor in the States. This guy was called by an elderly woman in the church. And this lady calls him to the house and and he gets there and there's a whole bunch of people there. And this lady says, right, I've brought all of you here because I want to help you prepare for my funeral. And so she starts giving orders. Right, when I die, I want this catering company, I want this food, and I want things to be laid out like this. I want it to happen here, I want it to happen there. And, and he, she slowly begins to move towards the pastor and finally gets to the pastor and says, now, your turn. When I die, I want you to preach from this text. And I want you to use my Bible. And this will be the pulpit that we use. The same one we have in your church, we will use this pulpit. And also, I want my funeral to have an open casket. I want people to see me. He's a young pastor. Now he's freaking out a little bit. I'm uh, not too sure. Maybe you scare your grandkids. like, no, I want it to be an open casket. And then she has, oh, by the way, make sure there's a fork in my hand when I'm in the casket. He freaks out. What? A fork in your hand? And she said, let let me tell you a story. She said, have you ever been to a formal dinner party where the food is amazing? They bring the main course, you're eating the main course, you're laughing because it just tastes good, but you're just just eating it up. And and in the middle of all that moment, you, you finish your first plate, and as you're about to go for seconds, the waiters come and they take away the main course. And you are like, no, I, I still want to eat some more. Oh, no, I, I want more. And, but you know, because it's formal, you can't go ask for seconds. <laughs> and just when you think the night is about to come to an end, the waiter comes and he puts a fork in front of you. And in that moment, you realize, oh, dessert is coming. Yeah. And here's what she said. I want everyone in my funeral to know that for me, the best is yet to come. I'm not done. In my life. The best is yet to come. In 2018, whatever you went through last year, hey, whatever you went through today, whatever you went through last week, the best is yet to come. I'm I'm confident for you. I am believing for you. I, I have the grace that I've been praying for you throughout December, that this year, the best is yet to come. And here's why. Because I am confident that by the grace of God and the power of Holy Spirit, you will choose the quality of life choice. You will choose to not be offended. You will choose to not hide because of fear. You will choose to not be hopeless, but be found in Jesus. And maybe, just maybe, we will have our best year yet. Let's pray. Father, thank you.
Thank you for your word. I pray for each and every one of us that as we hear this word, we'll take it to heart. Lord, what a year it's going to be. And even now, I thank you in advance for what you are going to do in and through us for your glory. If you're here today and you know you are carrying baggage, you might be carrying it for a day, you might have been carrying it for six months, or maybe for some of you, 10 years. You're saying, I, I want to let go of that baggage. I, I want to leave this behind. I want to carry his presence forward. I want to leave past the baggage and I want to carry his purpose into my tomorrow. If you're here, I, I'm also lifting my hand. If you're here and you're saying, I want to let go of this baggage, do you mind lifting up your hand? I just want to pray with you and stand with you and say, Lord, bless. So Lord, you see the hands that are up. You see the hands that are up today and I pray for each and every one of them that they would experience your grace in that area, in that place where there's baggage, in that place where there's been hurt. I pray not only that they, they would feel it lift, but they would feel your love flood their souls, that there would be a healing that takes place in their mind, in their bodies, in their hearts. I pray, Lord, that you would remove that offense and you would replace it with your yoke. Replace it with your burden, which is easy and light, filled with joy. And so, Lord, come all of our lives and heal us, change us. We pray this in your name.